Total Soccer Show Weekend Review. Man City's recent form should have been foreboding as United conceded hat-tricks to Haaland and Foden. Yes, City's place as the kings of Manchester seems entrenched, but would it have been different if Casemiro and Ronaldo weren't benched? Probably not. As for now, it seems that London is red as Partey Jesus and Martinelli help put Spurs to bed. But the biggest headline for the Gunners' vanguard is that it wasn't Granit Xhaka who got the red card. Elsewhere, Graham Potter got a derby win at Selhurst Park. Liverpool were slightly off the mark. Barcelona are upholding, are upholding their financially unstable narrative arc. And Bayern Munich have rekindled their spark. Gans, good. My name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, a man who would never have left the Etihad Stadium before half-time. Is that right, Taylor Rockingwell? I wish I could say it is right. I don't know, because when you're getting beaten that badly, there is an idea of... I guess vote with your feet, walk out that door. But then again, you've already paid for the ticket. It's at City. You've probably already bought some uh, refreshments and the like. So I'm not sure what kind of statement you're making there aside from I have better things to do with these 45 minutes. Uh, So I don't really begrudge the fans, but at the same time, never what you want to see if you're a Manchester United fan. If you're not, I'm sure you loved it. Yeah, it's tricky, isn't it? Because I'm I'm a, a kind of fan who would, I don't think I'd ever leave a game early. And especially if I paid upwards of, say, $60, $70 and spent my whole day traveling to this game. Yeah. Seems, seems a bit wasteful. Thing. Yeah, I, th- I think, and if you, like, I guess I could see it, like, Ryan Graham, you have kids. I, I have a feeling if my daughter were there, if I dragged her to a game and then they were just getting destroyed, I might be like, all right, you know what, we're going to go get ice cream and do something else. Like, we're going to go make a more <laughs> fun day of this. But if it was just me or, or some friends, then I think you stay, you have a few more. Maybe you hurl some abuse. Maybe you cheer a goal or two. Maybe you end up making it a good day. Hey, it's the friends we made along the way, et cetera, hey. and so on. At least... Taylor, Ronaldo stayed longer than the fans. That's something, right? We think he did. I don't know that for sure. I'm assuming he stayed on the bench the whole game. You never know for sure. He has form of not doing that. Also here, Taylor, a man who's struggling as much as me to keep up with succession with dragons as they keep time jumping and changing the cast. Graham Ruthven, hello. Hello, Ryan Bailey. Yeah, I mean, I watched every episode of Game of Thrones and never knew any of the character names. So do you know who I? Do you know how I kept track of who was who? The actors. You can't change the actors midway through the season. This isn't Doctor Who or the Watford manager's office. You need consistency (laughs) midway through a season. I'm not having it. I'm not enjoying it now. They've ruined it. I'm so sorry to hear that. I I assume your disappointment is couched in the fact that we haven't, I believe to this point, seen anything north of the wall. No wildlings and none of your people yet. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i mean that is the i think that's the second spin-off series which is uh it's never sunny in winterfell um that's coming after <laughs> house of the dragons or succession with dragons as i'm now calling it excellent oh, stuff I all right not have laughed that hard at that <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty good Tony. you gotta admit that and joining us a man whose points hit like a miguel almiron volley joseph lowry i can't speak today but hello Ryan, first of all, your intro was excellent. No one has commented on that. It was just yes, top-notch work from you. And that goal I, from Miguel Almiron was ridiculous. It is a reminder. <laughs> Every once in a while we get this from Newcastle, a reminder of how good he can be. And now that Newcastle are a lot richer for reasons and at times more fun, we're seeing a little bit more out of Miguel Almiron, and it is a joy. Yeah. It is a joy indeed. And thank you for the uh, the praise of my intro. Right. So Bowden with Foden wasn't easy, Joe. Someone had to do it. Yeah, but I and, got and, it. and you did it. <laughs> and also, did you rhyme Vanguard with Granite Zaka red card? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I sure did. 
I mean, that is a twist I didn't see coming. <laughs> You're very welcome. You're very welcome. The thesaurus was out in force this morning, Graham. That's all I have to say on that. <laughs> um, also, we should say at the top of the show, before we get into the weekend review, we are doing a live show November 20th <laughs> in Brooklyn, New York. Come and join us, please. I uh, looked on Google Maps earlier, guys. It is opposite an establishment called the Lucky 14 Saloon. Um, the description on Google is unpretentious heavy metal bar featuring live music, high energy bartenders and bar top dancers. Uh, Taylor, I don't know about you, but I can't wait to pregame with bar top dancers in the unpretentious heavy metal bar across the street. I, I was held up on unpretentious because if it's like listing itself as unpretentious, I'm not sure that's a good thing, but that's just a review, right? Uh, well, it, yeah, it's, it's their one liner on Google. I don't know who writes that. Eh, okay, so that's still worrisome, but then the tabletop dancers really put it over the top of a place that I look forward to Ryan frequenting while I stand outside. Oh, yeah. Just <laughs> just remember, listener, if you do come and see us, there'll be bar top dancers at Littlefield Brooklyn as well. Depends yeah. how many shoeies or, we do. but uh, Yeah, we'll or if we, we sell out the first event, we promise, we vow to book a second event at this, uh, at this establishment <laughs> with the bar top dancing. We can oh, have the watch yes. party, the England-USA day after Thanksgiving watch party at this establishment. Yes, and lots of heavy metal. Sad but true blasting as England falter to the US. Joe has, I mean, been, Joe has been so quiet in this conversation. I feel like he is doing everything he can to not get pulled into the tabletop dancer conversation. <laughs> yeah, so I'm doing it for you, Thanks, Joe. Thanks, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How, how high-energy bartenders with a coat of unpretentiousness. I'm so intrigued about this place. I can't wait to visit. Listener, uh, ticket link in the description should you want to uh, visit us in New York. We'll be delighted to see you. Uh, please come hang out with us. Now, plenty to get to on this weekend review. A very busy weekend, but we must start, uh, sadly, with a slight tone change from the biggest event in soccer of the weekend, a tragedy which unfolded in Indonesia. At least 129 people dying and 180 being injured in Indonesia after violence from a stampede erupting following an Indonesian soccer league match. Uh, there was a crush that took place after police tear-gassed fans who invaded the pitch. And as panic spread, thousands surged towards the stadium exits where um, many unfortunately suffocated. Um, lots of upsetting images online of disorder of torched police cars and riot vehicles overturned on the field. This is a dark day for all involved in football and tragedy beyond comprehension, said Gianni Infantino, FIFA president, uh, who noted that tear gas is banned for use at games mm. by FIFA. And Graham, it's obviously a tragedy and we, we uh, extend our sympathies to anyone who's affected by the events in Indonesia. But when 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 the uh, notice of tear gas came along, Graham, yeah. it made me think of the Champions League final and the Liverpool fans yeah. who were tear gassed as well and how close that came to a disaster. Yeah, absolutely. It's just so tragic to see, to see something like this happen when... As you referenced, Ryan, soccer's had tragedies like this in the past. So obviously Hillsborough and and the the Champions League final in, in May, which thankfully didn't result in in any fatalities. But everything we've seen and reported since then, it feels like uh, anything could have happened there. That's how how bad the organisation and the policing was at that event. So um, the sport and and people who police the sport should have should have learned lessons by now and. The use of tear gas in these situations is, is clearly reckless and, and was clearly a factor in what happened here. It's actually outlawed by uh, by FIFA. And, and I would say I hope justice in, is done in terms of investigating the neglect of the the police forces and handling this situation. But I'm, I'm not sure justice can ever be done after a tragedy like this. It's just a, 
an awful situation to have happened. Absolutely, Graham. And once again, our thoughts with everyone affected by that tragedy in Indonesia this weekend. Uh, let's turn our attention, guys, to the Premier League. Why don't we start off with the Manchester Derby? Man City 6, Manchester United 3. The most dominant City performance in the Derby, probably in the modern era. We had uh, Erling Haaland's third successive hat-trick at the Etihad. Pretty good feat. And uh, Phil Foden following up with a hat-trick of his own. Um, every manager that's come after Sir Alex Ferguson at Manchester United has lost his first Manchester Derby, which is a good stat. And Taylor, as I mentioned, United fans leaving the stadium before the first mm-hmm. half was over. They were 4-0 down at the first half, much like against Brentford uh, earlier on in the season. I kind of found it amazing and sort of unjust that City let in three goals here. The United scored three goals, the first of which was very impressive from Anthony. Because basically City, after about 78 to 80 minutes, went, eh, we're not going to play anymore. I still feel like this is bitterness on your part because you had the City to win 3-0 bet <laughs> going on, is. and that's mostly what this is about. Correct. Uh, I also think somebody should crop together. I'm assuming Ferguson was in attendance for every single one of those Derby losses, so someone mm. should just crop together every one of his disappointed faces because, man, did we get a masterpiece this weekend. He looked not happy with the way things were going. I think Pep Guardiola will end up not happy that City did uh, concede those three goals. He was he was screaming right until the end about uh, marking players and picking people up. We can talk about Man United later on. We should definitely focus on Man City because this was, even with those three goals scored, it did have that feeling of like the friendly when the final 20 minutes kind of don't matter. This was just such a comprehensive game from City. It's the one that really has me scratching my head as to how they don't win everything this season. We had a little bit of this conversation before we started. And when you have Erling Haaland in there, I I just, you can't really account for him because if you try to triple, quadruple team him, now you've got so much other talent able to score. And with the World Cup looming, uh, Zach Goldman on, on Twitter, he was the first one to post this. I think a few other people have as well. He said, one of the scariest parts about Holland is that he gets a nice long vacation in the middle of the season that oh, nobody wow. else gets. There are a few <laughs> other ones. Mohamed Salah will get that too. But Erling Holland with a full month of rest coming back in against a, a, a battered and fatigued number of players in the Premier League is going to be a sight to behold. Yeah. Um, Joe, on Erling Haaland, obviously his third hat-trick in a row at home here. He's got quite a lot of goals already this season. Uh, you know, he, he's one of these players who's come over from the Bundesliga. Do you think he's got what it takes to cut it in the Premier League? <laughs> <laughs> this is fun, isn't it? Um, yeah, I think so, Ryan. Feels pretty good, doesn't it? Uh, Erling Holland is... Erling Holland, Taylor, I was thinking while you were talking, is like if you're playing some sort of video game and there's a chance to get a power-up, right? And, and usually those things only last for a set period of time, maybe 30 seconds, whatever it would be, in, in a game. But he just keeps that forever, right? Erling Holland is just a regular soccer player, souped up with a power-up for all of time until he retires, right? He cheat is, code, Joe. He cheat is code. a cheat code, 100%. He is a <laughs> cheat code. And, and we've seen earlier this season, I don't want to pretend like City are wholly unstoppable because they're not, right? We saw them drop points earlier this year. We talked about their 3-3 draw with Newcastle where we talked about this idea that maybe Erling Haaland and his inability to drop in and, and link play and create or whatever it is can affect them in certain games, and it, and it did affect City's ability to control the game against Newcastle, a team that drew up a much more pragmatic and, I would argue, effective tactical game plan than what Eric Ten Hag and Manchester United drew up for this game. It, it is not as if City are 
entirely unstoppable, but boy, over the weekend, did they sure look it, right? I mean, when you have Erling Holland running in behind and De Bruyne feeding those classic, it's the same Kevin De Bruyne ball, right? The, the outswinger with his right foot from the right half space that leads directly to a goal. What, which goal is that? Shoot, I can't remember. Which, there's so many in this game, so I feel like I'm forgiven. Third goal. It's the third goal for City Holland, second goal in the 37th minute. It's the same ball that Kevin De Bruyne has been playing for his entire, basically, Manchester City career, but now he just has Erling Holland lurking at the back post who can ex- accelerate faster than maybe any human being on earth, <laughs> setting soccer aside. I mean, yeah. it, it's ridiculous, some of the stuff City can do. Graham, I know in the past you've talked about this City team or past Pep teams, Barcelona in particular, being dull. And I think there was something to that, right? They just lull you to sleep at times with some of the passing sequences. There was nothing about their performance on Sunday that was dull. It was high energy. It was electric going in behind. And thank you, genuinely, to Manchester United for making it that way because we've seen City games this year that aren't because teams are more defensive, but because Manchester United opened up a little bit or at least didn't defend well in the moments that they were Mm -hmm. deep, we got to see the Erling Haaland, Kevin Urbuena, well, I could just name pretty much every City player show. That's basically (laughs) what we saw. Yeah. The, The first 45 minutes of this match, I think, might have been the best I've ever seen from City under Guardiola. It was on. I honestly felt it was it was that good. Um, and Joe, I'm glad you you brought up the the kind of my my own personal. This is very self indulgent. My own personal thoughts on how City have played in in the past. Because you're right, I have found City a bit dull to watch in the past. They've been technically excellent, very successful, but I don't feel like that at all this season. They're making quicker decisions in the attacking third. You have Foden and, and Grealish driving with the ball at defenders. You have Haaland making incredible off-the-ball runs. And this is an evolution from City. And the same principles that they've had in pre- previous seasons, they still underpin their game. But I now see Guardiola bor- borrowing elements of uh, of Klopp's approach and adding them to, to his own game. So we've seen Klopp adapt his game with some Guardiola um, elements. And now the the opposite ha- is happening with City, and I just I just find it incredible to watch. It feels like those forty five minutes. It felt like f- football from the future, where you're where you're not quite sure how anyone is going to be able to beat them. And obviously they will, because football works in in cycles, and there will be something else after this. But it kind of feels like City are just the complete team right now. And yes, Manchester United were bad in this game, but even if United play to the best of their ability in this match. I don't think they get anywhere near City no, in this no. form. I think City in this form are incredible are in the, are, and are the, the best team, not just in the Premier League, but in all of Europe right now. Yeah, kind of crazy that all six goals were, like, De Gea didn't really have a chance with any of them. They were all fantastic and yeah. very well worked. And at least one of them, at least one of Foden's goal was the City goal, the one where you drive yeah. to the byline and, and cut in and tap in and so forth. Joe, were you talking about the, the De Bruyne Haaland goal? You're talking about the one where he plays the ball in behind and Haaland goes out on the stretch and kind yeah, of right. prods I think it in? I think that's the third goal where De Bruyne plays that looping out swinger and Haaland yeah. just kind of like thrusts himself forward and sticks a leg out like a cyborg. That, that one. Yeah. <laughs> that was a ridiculous goal. Am I the only one who thinks that was not just the pass? We've seen De Bruyne do that for, for so many seasons for Man City. But... Normally with a striker, you get two kinds of strikers. You have a striker who can can convert a chance like that. So maybe someone like Zlatan would be able to convert that chance, but he wouldn't have the pace to get, to get into that yeah. p- position. Haaland has the pace. He's then got the composure where, I don't know if anyone spotted this, but Haaland kind of waits with his leg in the air, anticipating the bounce coming off the turf, and then kind of like just thrusts his leg out at the right, at the right time, having had the pace to get into that position and the anticipation to know that ball is coming. 
I don't know how you defend against that. I, I, I'm, if you're Manchester United, you look back at that tape, maybe a bit more pressure on De Bruyne, I guess, before playing the pass. But once the pass is played, it's done. There's nothing you can do to stop that. It was unbelievable, that goal. I, I found it unbelievable anyway. Yeah, and this team, Joe, just fantastic from, from end to end, weren't they? And we, we've, we've credited Kevin De Bruyne, we've credited Haaland as well. But, you know, Jack Grealish had a fantastic game. Uh, Gundogan was superb. Foden had a... 10 out of 10 performance as well, didn't he, in this one, Joe? Yeah, Phil Foden was everywhere, right? So he gets the opening goal for City. He also scores a hat-trick in this game. You almost wouldn't know it from scrolling through Twitter because I think, understandably so, we are all captivated by Erling Holland because we should be. It's ridiculous. But Phil Foden was was popping up everywhere, right? He was providing width on, on the wing. He was dropping into midfield at times. He was tracking back defensively to help win the ball and help City counterpress. He was a huge reason why City were so dominant in this game. Phil Foden is just, and this pains me to say, looking ahead to Black Friday, but Phil Foden is just a ridiculously talented young attacking player. He can play as an eight. He can play as a nine. He can play as a winger. He can just do everything. And Pep Guardiola sees that and has used him in a number of different roles already. One other player that we haven't mentioned yet, who I think just deserves credit in general, is Ilkay Gundogan, right? So he, I talked about that third goal. Graham's talked about it too. It's the it's the De Bruyne to Holland one inside the box. And then you get earlier on in that sequence, though, you have Manchester City building out of their own half, and they're not under a ton of pressure, but Manchester United are trying to apply some pressure on them. And, and Gundogan shows to the left side. So City have the ball on their left side. Gundogan comes over, and I believe it's Bruno Fernandes on his back. And he plays, Gundogan plays this one-touch ball out of pressure. Again, granted, not the tightest pressure, but he certainly is under pressure, even if the team is not under this ridiculous high press. He plays this first-touch ball to Jack Grealish that completely keys the whole attack. Like, this goal does not happen. Holland doesn't get a chance to do his cyborg stuff. If Gundogan doesn't play this ball into Jack Grealish, then it's Grealish to De Bruyne, who then plays his classic De Bruyne ball into Holland for the goal. It, it, it was just everyone in the field for Manchester City. It was certainly Gundogan, who I think is maybe one of the most underappreciated players in this City era. For a while, it's Fernandinho back there. For a while, it's Rodri back there. And, and Gundogan plays the number six role in this game. And he can play the number eight role really well, too. And he was just so good, as were all of Manchester City in this match. And in retrospect, uh, for me, a Manchester United fan, that felt like a risky proposition. It felt like maybe this is Pep overthinking or tinkering too much. Uh, And now in retrospect, and there's a great Michael Cox piece about what Manchester United tried to do, it really just feels like disrespect. And not in really a negative way, just in a, I'm not even going to play anybody who are overly focused on defense. I'm Pep Guardiola. My team will just keep the ball and possess their way out of everything. And you won't be able to do anything. And that is more or less exactly how that went down. So it's a credit to Pep. It's a credit to uh, the two center backs, Manuel Akanji and uh, Nathan Ake. And definitely to Gunduan uh, Joe for being able to just sort of evade pressure, keep popping up in pockets of space, keep pulling defenders out to open up channels for other players. Uh, Really just a consummately excellent performance from Manchester City. Real fun for me to get to say that one. Well, Taylor, uh, let's pile into the real fun for you. Eric Ah. Ten Hag with a quote afterwards. It's quite simple. It's a lack of belief. It's unacceptable. We get undisciplined at following rules and you get hammered. That's happened. So Ten Hag has blamed attitude there. Uh, You could also argue some of he didn't maybe necessarily set the team up for success with uh, Ericsson and Tomanay in a double pivot. Casemiro uh, benched or starting on a bench for this one. Ronaldo apparently shown disrespect for not playing in this one. Mm -hmm. We can get into that later. But... How much of this is how much of this result was down to Man City being peerless and superb ten out of ten throughout, and how much did Manchester United allow them to be that way through their attitude, through their setup? 
Yeah, I'm, I'm inclined to say it's mostly just Manchester City being that good. Manchester United certainly did not help themselves. We don't need to spend a ton of time on them. That's not just me uh, like not wanting to talk about this game. It's mostly because we've talked about them plenty this season, and it's still kind of the same old thing. The way I would explain it is like if you have two high school Spanish classes, one is preparing to take the AP Spanish exam under their long-tenured and wildly successful professor. The other uh, is a beginner Spanish class with a new teacher that is still trying to figure out how many students actually plan on taking that Spanish AP years from now. Uh, And so when they go up against each other, you would assume that the one that is well-prepared and well-studied is going to do the better job. And that's pretty much how this played out. You could see that lack of discipline. You could see improvisation in the way they were defending, which is not what you want when you are Eric Ten Hag. Uh, And you could see how often they were just caught out. They gave the ball away cheaply. And then they didn't know what to do when transitioning back to defense. So you always had uh, options and openings if you're Man City. But then on top of that, those just existed. But then City are so good at creating those themselves that it like kept compounding. And to Graham's point, this just felt like one of the most complete performances from Manchester City I've seen Probably ever. So, again, credit to them for everything they did in this game. Graham, before we recorded, my last question on this game. You mentioned that City should win everything this season, which Mm. is the standard we set for City every season. They're the favourite in every competition they enter, even the Champions League every year. Yeah. So, I mean, unless Haaland breaks his leg next week, and let's hope he doesn't, do you see them taking a clean sweep at this season? So I feel like no matter what I say here, Joe's going to tear his hair out. (laughs) But yeah, the way I would put it is I will be surprised slash shocked. So with with the Cups, right? With the the domestic Cups, City might play a second string team or something like that. Graham is laying so much context down. So many conditions. So many qualifiers. I'm nervous. You've put me in a difficult position here. Anyway, when it comes to the Champions League, I will be uh, shocked if City, at full strength, don't win it this season. That's how I would would word it. I think they're the complete team defensively in the wide areas with midfield control, lots of depth, and now they've added Haaland um, to a team that was already one of the best attacking outfits or the best attacking outfit in, in Europe. Football, so yes, I'll, I will be shocked if they don't, or surprised if they don't win the Premier League and Champions League double this season. Hey Ryan, uh, are you familiar with uh, Obama's anger translator from Key and Peele? I'd love you to tell me about it. Oh, it's basically uh, it is uh, Keegan Michael Key would would be because Obama always had to keep it calm, so then he would be the one who would like scream what Obama actually wanted to say. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> I'm going to be Graham's translator for you. Can you ask me the question you just asked Graham again, please? City going to win all the games? Yeah. <laughs> okay thanks Taylor <laughs> yeah no problem <laughs> there we go and on that note we'll uh, we'll park that game by the way interesting narrative of course here um, Alfie Harland uh, Erling Harland's father who pretty much had his career ended by Roy Keane uh, the Manchester United player uh, they were both interviewed on the field several feet apart not that many many feet apart after this game uh, and many citing Erling Harland avenging his father uh, for, with this performance did you like that narrative Taylor? Oh, so much fun. Uh, I do really <laughs> believe that there's a part of Alfinger Holland that, or Erling Holland that was never going to play for Manchester United because of that one. Maybe that's just me putting too much stock into things. Mm. But I will also admit I kept getting confused because uh, I was like, why do they keep cutting to Peter Schmeichel? <laughs> Am I the only one that felt like uh, Alfinger Holland and Peter Schmeichel have a lot of similarity? Was that just me? Is that Scandinavian? Yeah, I can see that. Okay, they, I they are both sure that was Scandinavian bias. They are men with blonde hair from Scandinavia. That's all I'll give you, I think. <laughs> all right, that's fair. Yeah, 
All right. Uh, thank you very much. Let's take a quick break when we come back. North London Derby time. Hey, folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early. There are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation. There's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly. There's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there. There's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain. There are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Let's dig into Arsenal 3, Tottenham Hotspur 1. Arsenal remaining top of the league with this North London derby win. Mr. Pardy, Jesus and uh, Martinelli getting the goals in this one. Uh, a straight red for Emerson Royale in this one as well. Graham, this was a fantastically open game, wasn't it? I really enjoyed this. Yeah, it was a good game. I'm not. I don't know if I fully agree with it was. It was an open game because it, fe- it felt like Arsenal pretty fundamentally dismantled Spurs, and I guess that Spurs had that opportunity on the on the break from time to time. But it felt like they were struggling to get out against the the Arsenal press, and this was pretty much a demonstration of of um, how Arsenal have improved this season in a number of different areas from their rock solid defence which admittedly wasn't really tested in this game and that's been in place for a little while now but that is still there this season um, the improvement that they've made in the fullback areas the improvement the vast improvement that they've made in midfield with Granit Xhaka I think we might talk about him a little bit later on mm. um, but yeah this this was impressive by Arsenal I'm still not ready and I know they're sitting top of the Premier League table right now 
I'm still not ready to call them title contenders. Um, but they they are. I thought they were going to be good this season, and I think they are exceeding those expectations. This this was very impressive. Uh, um, I have to apologise to Greenwich Xhaka. I just said that Martinelli scored the third goal. He assisted it. It was Xhaka got the goal, and I think I said that in the intro as well. So please don't shout at me, Arsenal fans and Greenwich Xhaka fans too. Should there was a be. rhyme scheme to uphold? <laughs> Some things yeah. are sacred. Got to appreciate the meter. Got to appreciate the meter on this here, Tate. Uh, Taylor, what did you make of this one? Uh, a very good performance from Arsenal. Um, did, did you uh, did you enjoy it as much as I did? I did. It makes me really sad that the Man City Arsenal game has already been postponed. So I don't think we will get one of those before the World Cup, which is genuinely a shame because at this point, they seem like the two most complete teams. And this is not meant to be a shot at Arsenal or to frustrate Arsenal supporters. It's just I still have a hard time saying that about Arsenal because they don't have the money uh, behind them the way Man City do. But to see the way they continue to figure out opponents and and occasionally grind out results, but then also still play really pretty technical football, yeah. it's just... It's just exactly what they haven't been in years past. They have the physicality uh, to, to win games if they need to, but they have the technical precision uh, to win games if that's how they want to play. And I think Gabriel Jesus is a player that kind of blends those two really well. He's one that I always thought was sort of technical, a little bit flash in the pan, a little bit wasteful at times. And in this game, we saw once again what he has been for Arsenal because he's there for that uh, for the second goal. Uh, he scores it, but it's off of a shot. And if you watch the replay... He is, I think, the first to react to it of any player in the box as the shot is being saved. He is already moving towards it, uh, which is what a, what a, an attacker is supposed to do. But so, too, are the center backs. And you can see them both kind of holding up to see what's going to happen. He's already pouncing. He's trying to make a play. Then he, uh, he fights off. I forget which center back uh, it was for Spurs. But Romero? To, to be able to, yeah, it was Romero. Thank you. To be able to kind of hold off a center back, be the first to the ball, and then still have the ability to just poke it in that's just a difference maker and it's a thing that I think Arsenal haven't always had or haven't always been able to utilize so for me little moments like that can be the difference makers and they were in this game Uh, I think Spurs also didn't really help their cause at times in this one but uh, better to praise Arsenal than to attack Spurs right out the jump I will I'll do a little bit of that just just a (laughs) tiny bit I tell (laughs) I've already praised Arsenal now go ahead I had that same Gabriel Jesus moment in my notes it is a great goal scorer's goal right he is ready to pounce and that's so much of what is involved to be a top-level number nine. I think it's pretty clear right now that Gabriel Jesus is that. But, man, Hugo Lloris had two chances to save that ball and keep it out of the back of the net, one on the initial shot, and then one, it just is like, it is sort of a comedy of errors from Lloris in that moment. And that's a tough one for Tottenham because I think coming out of halftime, obviously Arsenal are the more progressive team. They are seemingly taking more risks in that they have the ball, they control possession in the first half. But it ends 1-1, right? Both teams are, are probably pretty okay with where they are after the first half. Tottenham didn't give up a ton of clear-cut chances. They had some dangerous moments on the break, but not a ton. And so Arsenal then, they had some good possession sequences to flip it around, but they didn't give too much up on the break either. Both teams had conceded some chances, but they weren't getting run over by the other. And then you come into the second half, and what is it, four minutes in, that Gabriel Jesus gets that go-ahead goal, and from there, you know, the momentum has clearly swung towards Arsenal's direction. And maybe it was a little bit closer to that side after the first half, but it wasn't like this wild discrepancy between the two teams. So I, I do think that Hugo Lloris moment really hurt Tottenham because they were still in this yeah. game at least for a point. I will say, though, to go back to Arsenal because I do want to give them credit as well. They're, they're really fun to watch. Like, the, Mikel Arteta and, and this team have become 
almost must watch every weekend. The odds are I'm not going to be able to watch them every single weekend, but they're playing good soccer. Someone, I don't know if it was Graham or Taylor or Ryan, whoever, one of you guys mentioned this idea that they play effective soccer as well out of their, their possession shape. And I think that's a really good way to put it. They are so flexible right now under Arteta. They defend in a back four. They build at times out of a back four from in build up in their own defensive third. Then they shift into this 3-2-5 shape in possession with Ben White as that third center back. And then in a game like this, and this doesn't happen every game from what I've seen, but then in a game like this against Tottenham who are defending with one striker, they move to a 2-3-5 even higher up the field to get that, uh, that extra player further forward because they might not need it to actually circulate around just one single striker. So then it just ends up being Saliba and, and Gabriel who are the two center backs. And then Ben White and Zinchenko almost move to flank Thomas Partey. And it, it does look very Pep Guardiola positional play-esque because that's, that's what it is. But it was just another subtle change in their possession structure that was an example of, yeah, we're prepared for this game. We know what's coming at us. We know what Conte likes to do. We know what Spurs like to yeah. do. And we're going to leverage that into getting even more numbers forward. And for Arsenal, when this game ends 3-1, you can see it it worked. They were the better team in this game. And and I think Granit Xhaka was was key to their possession play. And he, he, he's, been, he's been a different player for Arsenal this season. And he was excellent in this match so in the past high intensity matches like the North London Derby have brought out the worst of uh, of Granite Zaka I think it's fair to say but this was a very mature performance that I thought summed up why he's become so important to Arsenal this season and Arsenal had so much joy with their possession play down the left side in this match and that has been another common feature of, of, the, of their play this season. And Arsenal, they like to create combinations through Martinelli and Jesus on, on, the, on the left. Um, and that opens up a channel for Saka on the right and in the middle for Odegaard. So there's a good balance there. There's, there's a plan there. Um, but key to the possession play is the distribution of, of Zaka and, and his left foot, which gives Arsenal that balance in the middle. And having Xhaka and Zinchenko supplying the left side just allowed Arsenal to keep the foot on the throat of, of Tottenham in, in, in this game. And while, Joe, you ran through like the moments that went against Spurs in this game, and I agree, it was almost, it, it, when you look at the box, the box score, every kind of Arsenal goal comes from a moment. So the, 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 the party, I'll explain what I mean by, by that. The, the party goal is a very low XG strike that ordinarily maybe Spurs don't concede from that. Then you have the Hugo Lloris error and then you have the Emerson Royale red card. So there's a lot that go against Spurs and maybe Conte coming out of that game feels that they pick up a point on, on another day. I, watching this game, I kind of felt a bit differently in terms of the, the balance of the play. I felt like just Arsenal were on top of Spurs at every possible moment, and that left side was crucial to that. Martinelli, he was excellent in this game. Um, Martinelli against Emerson Royale, it felt like an accident waiting to happen for Spurs from from very early on, on so it was unsurprising that that ended in, in, a, in a red card. And There were just so many times when Martin, Martinelli isolated his man and went with him or combined with Jesus, who, who he likes to drag out to, to, to the left side. Um, but even when Martinelli didn't have the ball, the width that he maintained did an excellent job of pinning, pinning the Spurs wingbacks back. And it was the same with Saka on the right side. And that just gave Spurs no way of getting out. And, and in an ideal world, the, the wingbacks for Spurs would have been a route to, to, to exposing that Arsenal high line, which I expected to see more of that in this game. But that just didn't happen, and it just meant Arsenal could keep the pressure on for pro- prolonged periods 
of this match and and Arsenal were also p- pushing Zinchenko and, and Ben White who's done very well at right back this so far this season they were pushing them into central areas to prevent Spurs from from breaking so to my eye the, the, the game plan just worked so well for Arsenal even if the the goals they scored kind of came from um, fortuitous moments or moments that might not have gone their way in another day two things for me on Spurs one in the lead up to this game I think on Thursday or Friday I saw a story about how Emerson had spent uh, close to a million pounds trying to improve himself as a player to, to fit what Antonio Conte wanted of him as a player. And that felt immediately like, oh, this is either going to be a very good performance from him in this game or a very bad performance. The red card maybe uh, has me thinking it's the second and not the first. But I would also say this one felt a little bit like what happens when you play a system and players are just off on that day. It reminds me in the opposite way of when Bielsa's teams would occasionally just get destroyed 5-0 because when you're that open, if you have tired legs or the press just isn't working that day, you get sort of torn apart. And in this case, it felt like Spurs were too defensive, dropped too deep into that defensive shell, but then also just had a lot of individual mistakes. And when you're focused on being this like so, sort of resolutely defensive team that can counterattack brilliantly but you start to have little openings and get uh, like pushed apart to or pulled apart pushed open too easily it's it's where then that system looks really frail by comparison but i'm inclined to say a lot of this was in my mind just individual in, inability to execute i think son looked tired or just not nearly as sharp as he normally does in passing he had a few he has that one opportunity to play and i think Richarlison that he just overhits i think it ends up being the penalty cuz Richarlison does really well to win the ball back but there's just the, those types of moments where they fail to execute i think you can't do that in an Antonio in, in an ooh that's hard to say in an Antonio Conte system <laughs> and still be able to come away with the result. I think we saw that pretty effectively here, and I think Arsenal were more than happy to capitalize on that inefficiency by playing some pretty efficient football of their own. Uh, Taylor, did you say Emerson spent a million yeah, pounds improving himself? What what does that mean? Uh, I will read it to you. It comes from The Times. The 23-year-old joined Spurs, blah, 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 blah. He has taken steps to improve his game away from the training ground and, according to The Sun, has purchased his own hyperbaric oxygen tank to help him keep his fitness levels up. Uh, Yeah, there's a bunch of... Oh, he got the idea... He commissioned a scouting report of PSG defender Atraf Hakimi, who flourished under Antonio Conte's system at Inter Milan. Just watch the film. And basically, that was one of (laughs) the... What? What? Yeah, a Premier League footballer contacting a scout and he goes, okay, so how much for that kind of tape analysis? And the scout's like, a million pounds? <laughs> yeah, okay, that'll do. <laughs> I like to think he just watched tape of Atraf Hakimi sleeping in a hyperbaric chamber and thought, yeah, I'll have some of that. Like after 12 hours of just watching him sleep, thought, yeah, sure, let's go that way. Yeah, I had questions wow. about that as well. I had visions of him like commissioning the construction of an exoskeleton, like <laughs> Iron Man or something like that. Uh, The Defender also reportedly drafted in neuroscientist and human behavior specialist Dr. Fabiano de Abreu Agrela, (laughs) uh, who has previously worked with other professional footballers. So there you go. He's doing all the different (laughs) things you can do. And and number one, not eating ketchup. Yeah, just don't get sent off, man. You don't need to pay a million pounds for that. Or that. (laughs) I I really hope he expense that. That is definitely a business expense, isn't it, Taylor? (laughs) I'm I'm guessing he'll be fine. We shall see. Well, he's certainly going to have to sit out. And also, Ryan, I see what you just did there. No, that's not a business expense. You cannot invoice anyone (laughs) for such things like that. No. 
Okay. Uh, sends email to cancel order for hyperbaric chamber. There it is. There, <laughs> there it is. is. <laughs> All right. Well, Arsenal still uh, atop the Premier League table by a point over Manchester City as we record. Let's take a quick look around the rest of the Premier League. Liverpool 3, Brighton 3. Uh Roberto De Zerbi's debut for Brighton here. Brighton were 2-0 up after 17 minutes and got a late equaliser as well. Uh, Graham, did you catch this one? I did. I watched this one live. Or rather, I, I started watching this game once Brighton were 2-0 up and it felt like this was where one of the stories of the day was going to be. Mm. Um, the international break doesn't seem to have done Liverpool much good because all the problems they were experiencing before the break were evident once again in this performance. The, the 4-3-3 system was disjointed. They couldn't stop Brighton from slicing them open in the first half. There's been a lot of talk about the Liverpool midfield this season and injuries have been a factor, but Klopp started Thiago, Henderson and Fabinho in this game and there were still issues with pressure on the ball, which in turn led to those same old problems with the the high line. Um, In terms of Brighton, I think they're going to be just so much fun to watch under De Zerbe. I'm not sure they'll necessarily be better but I think there's a good chance they'll be more entertaining um, as proven by this match. Trossard and, and Gross, they, they were very good. They were exploiting the, the, the half spaces. Trossard obviously getting a hat-trick. Talk about timing your hat-trick, poor timing on your hat-trick away at Anfield. It feels like nobody is uh, is talking about this that this weekend after what Haaland did on Sunday. Um, but Brighton were very good, getting a lot of players forward. And I really just can't wait to see where Brighton go from here with uh, De Zerbe. It's certainly a, an interesting appointment. Indeed. I know that I know that we're setting up to basically make this our first like four hour long episode because we're still in the Premier League. But I have a question that I really did spend some time pondering last night. Uh, Graham, I would love your thoughts. Uh, Chris mm-hmm. Wolf asked this. Technically, wouldn't we say Brighton drop points given their superior place in the table? <laughs> I know that was tongue in cheek from Chris, but I was wondering what is the sort of bar for when a team has dropped points against another team? Oh, that's a, that feels like an existential question that I've right. got to address in the next right. 30 seconds. Um, I guess you've got to make a judgment on the overall quality of the team and whether a team is over or underachieving. I would say Liverpool are underachieving this season and Brighton overachieving. So I guess that is how I would make that judgment. But the short I, answer is, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I feel like you do because I did not prep you for that. And that was a very succinct and excellent answer. <laughs> uh, I am mildly speechless, so I'm going to stop talking now. Thank you very much, Taylor. Don't worry, Daddy's going to get you home in about an hour. Four hours isn't uh, necessarily here. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> don't know why I called oh, wow. myself Daddy, but I did. I, was, I, yeah, so, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't love that so much. At, at the weekend, the wife and I sat down to watch a movie. Put, uh, we, we fired up Elvis on HBO. Three hours. We fired up Blonde on Netflix. Three hours. I now respect people's time, and we need to keep things under an hour on this podcast I think because films are too long maybe podcasts are too that's another conversation for another day Crystal Palace 1 Chelsea 2 uh, first game in nearly, nearly a month for both teams here uh, uh, Potter's first Premier League game with Chelsea as well uh, Aubameyang with the goal and Con- Conor Gallagher with a rather nice goal as well back in his old stomping ground here um, Thiago Silva Graham uh, swatting the ball away with his hand yeah. when Palace were one up denying a possible goal scoring opportunity 
If anything, he handballed it too much, I'd say, Graham. <laughs> yeah, I'm not entirely sure how he avoided a, a red card. And you always know when there's a decision like that or something like that happens in a game that that player is going to have a hand in a goal or a, or a decisive moment for that team. And that's what happened with uh, Thiago Silva. He wins the header before the, the as the assist for the, the Aubameyang equaliser. You just knew that was going to happen. It seems incredible that this was Potter's first Premier League game as Chelsea manager. I swear he was appointed six months ago um, and it's still on the, on the basis of, of this performance it feels like he's still kind of working out what this team is he goes for a 4-2-2-2 shape in this game it worked uh, relatively well but the defence was exposed at times and, and I thought the attack wasn't very fluid either a bit stilted but the encouraging thing for Chelsea was the impact of Pulisic and Gallagher off the bench and it feels like on the, on the basis of the reporting over the weekend they're going to have another attacker joining the club in Christopher Nkuku he is um, expected to join Chelsea either in January or next summer so maybe the 4-2-2-2 shape is just the groundwork Potter doing the groundwork in preparation for that signing yeah uh, and does that threaten Christian Pulisic's place in the team? Yes. Graham. Yes. Yes, it does. Yes. <laughs> maybe not a threat. Maybe a welcome thing for the politics. We shall see on that. Fulham won Newcastle four. Miguel Almiron, the aforementioned, with two goals yeah. here, one of which was pretty darn outrageous, Joe. Yeah, that goal was unreal. We talked about it in the intro. He picks it out, and it is just beautiful. Maybe. Atlanta United out of the playoffs. Maybe Joseph Martinez heads over to Newcastle for a few months before. No, that, I don't think that actually can happen at all. But either way, Miguel Almiron doesn't seem to be missing Joseph Martinez too much at this moment. Uh, West Ham 2, Wolves nil. Skimadger and Bone with the goals in the game that cost Bruno Large his job at Wolves after 16 months. Uh, Wolves dropped into the bottom three with this result. Only three goals scored this season. Goodness yes. me. Yeah, that's not a good record, Graham. No, and when you look at the forward players that they've got as well, so that there are six forwards in their squad right now, not including Diego Costa, who hasn't featured yet. Those six players are Pedro Neto, Daniel Podens, Gonzalo Guedes, Huang Hee Chan, Raul Jimenez, and Sasa Kaladzic, who, who signed in the summer. Between all six of those players, only one has scored in the Premier League this season. He's got two, and that's Daniel Podens. That, that is just... That's just not good enough. And and before Bruno Lage, you had Nuno Espirito Santo, and even he was conservative. Now, though, I think this Wolves squad lends itself to a more attacking side, a style, excuse me. So I want Wolves to make uh, a more attack-minded appointment. And Ruben Amarin seems to be the the, the favourite for that job. I, I want that to happen. So Wolves, if you're listening to this, please make it happen because I want to see how he does in the Premier League. They're definitely listening to this, Graham. Don't worry. Of course. Uh, Bournemouth nil, Brentford nil. Hopefully you didn't watch this one, listener. Uh, not much to say about that one. Southampton won, Everton two. Everton scoring twice in a game for the first time this season. Their terrible away record is improving. And finally, Taylor leads nil, Villa nil. Nasty game ends with no goals. Yay? I mean, yay for the hilarious moment of Sinistera getting the second yellow red card because uh, I, I, you know, I want Leeds to win and do well because of Tyler Adams and Jesse Marsh, but that felt like some comeuppance uh, because Jesse Marsh clearly has that team up and amped up to eleven or twelve, uh, and in this game, Sinistera tries to, for people who didn't see, tries to stop uh, a restart or just puts a foot out to delay it, uh, which is a thing you do, you know, a little bit of gamesmanship every every now and then. But the kick is taken; it hits him, and that is technically uh, delaying the restart, which is a yellow. He was already on a yellow, so he gets the red, and that is the sort of downside to Leeds playing that way, to being up for everything, to going into challenges, to trying to stop things, to trying to obstruct and delay, you run into those types of problems. And I guess 
uh, with that in mind, not not surprising that they finished this game with 10 men and their manager in the stands, having previously been sent off and suspended. So uh, maybe uh, Leeds just need to dial it down that one notch. Maybe 11 out of 10 is fine. Just 12 out of 10 is too much. Yeah, not fans of one another. These two teams, safe to say. Let's nah. take a quick break. When we come back, let's go around the houses in Europe, take a quick look at MLS, and then get out of here. Back shortly. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs, who would like to remind you when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. You don't want to end up with Ryan, Graham, and Joe. Just kidding. Just kidding. Very much just kidding, because I was very fortunate to have the three of them all join the show, and I had existing relationships with all three of them that allowed me to know that they could handle the the the, uh, the amount of work that would be required, that they could be diligent in their tasks and be very effective on mic, and all three of them are. But again, that's because you have the existing relationship. If you don't feel like you have that with potential hires, then LinkedIn is going to make it very, very easy, and they're going to make it feel like you are connected to that person. They have a vast network of more than a billion professionals, which makes it the best place to hire because it gives you access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. But when you are setting the requirements and making it very specific as to what you're looking for, you can very quickly narrow it down to find the right candidate for that position. Hiring is easy when you have that many candidates. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. And LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring, and you can too. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash TSS. That's linkedin.com slash TSS to post your job for free. Terms and conditions do apply. Thank you very much to LinkedIn for sponsoring today's episode. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Total Soccer Show, welcome back. Let's turn our attentions to Spain. Mallorca 1, Barcelona no, Mallorca nil, Barcelona won. <laughs> Robert Lewandowski with a great goal in this, Graham. Filthy cutback on what looked like the most waterlogged, waterlogged uh, field in the world. Your intro there had me thinking I'd, I'd missed a, a big upset <laughs> in La Liga and was slightly panicked, but no, Barcelona win this one. Certainly not the best match that, that Barca have played this season. And in fact, I thought Mallorca looked looked dangerous. Uh, Javier, Javier Aguirre, he's done a good job with this team, obviously a, a veteran of, of La Liga at this point. And they had chances. Marike, he was he was a threat in the air. Lee Kang in, he was he was lively as well. Um, but nobody else produced anything like Robert Lewandowski did. For me, uh, this was my favourite goal that he scored for Barcelona so far this season. There's already a few to pick pick from, but um, when Ansu Fati gives him the ball on the left side, there's there's just so much for him to do. It's not even an opportunity at that point, but he puts the, the ball in the one place that the goalkeeper couldn't reach it. And it was, it was just an incredible goal. And in the end, that was pretty much the difference between these two teams. It very much felt like your archetypal performance you get from a big team after an international break. So Barcelona will uh, collect the points and move on. And I, will... Sorry, Ryan. I just have to say, like I, this goal really is, is sort of a moment for me with Robert Lewandowski of a reminder as to how good he is and what it is that makes him 
such a good goal scorer, such a different level player. For people who haven't seen it, uh, as we've already kind of uh, hit on a couple times, he dribbles in from wide, cuts it back with a little inside chop, and then hits a low bender into the far side netting. Uh, but it's it's the the decision making from him. First of all, Ansu Fati does really well with some te- te- technical dribbling. He pulls in defenders. He he kind of pulls them out for Lewandowski to run in, which he does ball through to Lewandowski, and now you can see him pick his head up. But Mallorca have done such a good job transitioning to defense, getting goal side, getting in front of their marks that there's no real pass. And I think so many other players would either just head down dribble at goal and hope that something opens up or just fire something in low and see what chaos is created as a result. And I think maybe that's what Mallorca expect him to do, which is why this sort of uh, like reverse instep chop comes out of nowhere. But then... He has that striker's ability to know exactly where he is in relation to the goal. He doesn't really have to look. He can just kind of be aware of, there's that far post, there's the defender, I can bend it around the defender, goalkeeper will see it late, uh, and it will go in, and that's exactly how that plays out. So for him to kind of improvise that uh, attacking move, but then also still know exactly how to execute, exactly what the angles are, it's just such a good goal and such a talented goal scorer is Robert Lewandowski. Not breaking any ground there saying that one, but just really wanted to to spend a moment emphasizing how special of a goal that was. All, it, all of that is good analysis. I think the real reason why Lewandowski has been so good for Barcelona is that he hasn't posted a TikTok since moving to Spain and, and, and putting that. on the Barcelona yeah, jersey, that, that well to me Joe. feels yeah. like the real X factor that nobody's talking about. <laughs> I go. kind of, I know you're joking. I kind of agree because it makes him; those make him seem mortal. You're like, oh, he doesn't have rhythm. There, there, there is a flaw. <laughs> he's he, he's not a machine, or maybe he is a machine. Uh, and yeah, and then you don't have the TikTok. Instead, you just have the technical goal scoring, See? and now we're all terrified See? again. Yeah. Good mm-hmm. point. Uh, also, Taylor, you referred to his reverse in-step chop, which just sounds to me like something Austin Powers would say while tackling one of Dr. Evil's minions. That's all <laughs> I, I mean, have to say. Things can be two things, right? That's very true. Things can be two things. They care. Barcelona top on goal difference. Real Madrid a second after a 1-1 draw at home with Osasuna, missing the chance to go top, obviously, with this one did Barcelona. Vinicius with the opener. Graham Karen Benzema with an 80th minute penalty. How did that go for him? It did not go well. And uh, it's just ironic that after a few weeks of getting by without Benzema, I think more impressively and comfortably than most expected, um, Real Madrid have dropped points for the first time this season as soon as he's back from injury and he misses a penalty in this game. Uh, also sooner, they'll, they'll feel like they were pretty good value for, for this, this point. Um, they were difficult to break down, low defensive block. It, it worked pretty well. They prevented Real Madrid from, from getting too many Transition opportunities. Um, the the equaliser that Kiki Garcia scores from is this incredible header, and I checked the XG value on it. And I know Joe, you, you you always say I shouldn't I shouldn't do that, but I'm going to do it anyway. The the XG value on that equaliser was zero point zero two. So in a sense, it was harsh on Real Madrid that that ended up in the back of the net, but uh, they played well within themselves. Anyway, and, and that's Barcelona and Real Madrid. They're now tied on mm. <clears throat> excuse me, 19 points at the top of La Liga. And the first class goal of the season is on October 16th. So I'm just marking, marking your cards early for that one because I am already looking forward to it. Very nice indeed, Graham. Uh, let's jump to Serie A, why don't we? Into <laughs> one, Roma two. Uh, Chris Smalling winning it for Roma in the San Siro with a second half header. But uh, Paolo Dybala, Taylor, with the volleyed equaliser, uh, from a lovely spinner's all across. That was a special moment, wasn't it? It really, really was. And it's a reminder of 
just why that Dybala signing was so smart by Roma, so good by Roma. And I think especially the welcome he got, which we've talked about plenty, but just how much that had to make him feel like the man, having left Juve where it felt like sometimes he was a man in that team, definitely not the man. And in this game, Inter 1-0 up. They'd had a goal disallowed for a very tight offside decision. Uh, Looked to be very dominant, looked to be creating the chances, and then... It's a loose ball. Spinazzola picks it up, carries it forward 30 yards, uh, hits that cross into Dybala, and Dybala has to adjust his run, which he does perfectly, to then be able to take that volley and hits it excellently. And it reminds me, uh, talking about Juve's game uh, a couple weeks ago when they just were sort of bereft of ideas, and how that was a game, uh, I think it was James Horncastle was saying, that's the type of game where you used to have Dybala come in and just be this spark, this person who could create something from nothing and to see him do that here in this game in that exact sort of moment I I think changes the momentum but also is a good reminder of why he's important and then Ryan that Smalling uh, winner not just like showcasing how important he has become to Roma and Jose Mourinho but also how smart he is uh, in this one because I was trying to figure out why he's so wide open he scores the header off the free kick uh, and really has no one near him. And if you watch, it's off a free kick. Uh, basically, Inter have set that their lineup, and um, Smalling is physically hugging Tammy Abraham, which you'll see people do sometimes. Uh, I've had players like you can use them as a battering ram almost, but in this case, it's because Scriniar is marking uh, Smalling. But if you have him hugging Tammy Abraham, Skriniar can't get in there to separate them, so it's really difficult for him to get goal side. If he tries to stand off a little bit to wait for that run, now he's breaking the line, and essentially then he makes everybody else back up, which they don't want to do. So he has to stand on the wrong side of Chris Smalling and never gets goal side. And so it's just a little difference maker there. Dybala's technical ability, a little difference maker there. But when it ends up being three points and a win, those little differences start to add up to something maybe bigger than you would have expected. Yeah. Uh, Empoli 1, Milan 3. Graham, this one had a rather mad final few minutes, should we say. Well worth looking up, listener, if you haven't seen them. Uh, It's 1-0 to Milan after 90 minutes. It's 1-1 in the 90th. And then a couple of fairly crazy goals. Yeah, this this was a a match that was backloaded, to say the least. (laughs) Um, And this is becoming... Every time we talk about AC Milan, it's becoming a regular update of whatever madness Rafael Leao has been up to at, at the weekend. He was, once again, very good in this game, gets a goal and an assist. And the chipped finish for his his goal, AC Milan's third goal in this game, is just sensational. Check that out if you haven't already seen that. Um, and I thought the scoreline on, on, on end play was a little bit harsh. It didn't totally tell the full story of this game because they fought well and they pressed for the win late on which after they get that equaliser, which ultimately I think cost them in the end because AC Milan were able to pick them apart on the break. Uh, Balotori, he scores his first ever Serie A goal in stoppage time to put AC Milan 2-1 up and then it's the Leao chip, which was just the, the highlight of this game. And as I say, if you haven't already seen that, seek it out because it's brilliant. It is brilliant indeed. Uh, Napoli 3, Torino 1, and Giza with a brace there, and Cavara Donna to keep Napoli at the top of the table. Lazio, a third, meanwhile. They had a 4-0 demolition of Spezia on Sunday at the Olympico. <coughs> Excuse me, uh, some Coke Zero went down the wrong way there. Listener. Uh, Atalanta 1, Fiorentina uh, nothing. That keeps Atalanta in second. And Juventus 3, Bologna 0. Graham playing in their away kits at home were Juventus, which should be an automatic point deduction in my view, but Max Allegri surviving another week. 
yeah, this was much more like it from Juventus, a much-needed win that lifts them up to seventh place, which is obviously modest progress, but progress nonetheless. Uh, Bologna didn't offer much of a threat, a threat, excuse me, it must be said, um, but Locatelli was good. Philip Kostic was was good. The front two of Milik and Vlaovic, they were both dangerous. And Weston McKenney played very well. Um, his assist for the... The second Juventus goal was fantastic. He was playing on the right side of the of the midfield, which Allegri, Allegri likes to do. Maybe not his best position, but you can see why Allegri likes him there um, with the way he gets forward and his drive. And if he can cross like he did for Vlavic's goal, then I guess that's another reason he works on the right side. And it's amazing how much better this Juventus team plays when they're just a bit more proactive and they send more bodies forward and, they, and there's just more intensity to this game. So, as I say, modest progress, but progress nonetheless. USA going to win the World Cup. Woo! Yeah, confirmed. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah. Bundesliga. By Munich 4, by a nil. Uh, Joe... Uh, a good performance from Bayern Munich, who were wearing a special kit, maybe? It looked a bit more maroon than usual. It, it did. I liked it. Graham, I don't know what you thought or if you saw these kits, Ryan. I also don't know why you're throwing a me on kits, because I'm not going to be able to say anything <laughs> cool about it. I just thought it was cool. My analysis doesn't go any deeper than that for jerseys, but I did like it, and I, I liked Bayern Munich's performance in this game as well. It's a reminder, as they've been all season long, that they are the best team in the Bundesliga. That might not be reflected in the standings right now, but you watch this team play, and there's there's nobody else that's close in Germany right now. Musiala, in particular, I thought was brilliant in this game. Nagelsmann, I thought, had some really good analysis of Musiala after the match. He was talking to ESPN, and he said, this is, this is a paraphrase, but most of this is, is word for word. He's young and very talented. He's brilliant in dribbling, can use both feet in dribbling. Most important step this season is he's brilliant in defense as well. A lot of ball-winning moments can score goals, and in that conversation, he also referenced the, the play he made against Terry Maguire for Germany against England not too long ago back in the international break. I thought that was really clever analysis from Nagelsmann and, and well said and good of him to share that afterwards because you know it's interesting to think about how these players improve. Right, Musiala is a young player. He's in this next generation of, of attacking players, of midfielders, and Nagelsmann's already noticing ways that he's improved his game. I mean, Musiala is scary good. He probably doesn't get talked about in the same way as maybe Pedri or Gavi for Barcelona because they have that, that past La Masia history that we just kind of expect or are grateful to see more of these young players coming in. Musiala is phenomenal, and he was really, really good in this game against Leverkusen. Uh, I'm tracked to Union Berlin nil. Uh, Union Berlin staying top despite that loss. Uh, Freiburger in second with a 2-1 win over Mainz. Uh, RB Leipzig 4, Bochum, bottom place Bochum, nil Udir. Timo Werner, according to Opta France, becoming the first player from RB Leipzig to score 100 goals across all competitions. Congratulations, Timo. Uh, Werder Bremen 5, Taylor. Gladbach 1. Yeah, man. Uh, this feels, between this and the Bayern results, I'm back to like, all right, well, it looks like Bayern Munich going to end up winning this one uh, at a canter. Uh, because in that Bayern game, Leverkusen just looked atrocious. The fourth goal especially was pretty humiliating for uh, Hrdzecki. And uh, Leverkusen very much rooted near the bottom of the table. Historically finishing, what, between like fourth and sixth or second and sixth? I don't know how they're going to pull that one off this year. Gladbach, also a team that historically does pretty well uh, and at least gives Bayern something to think about. Though this game uh, may be less likely to do that. Werder Bremen's five goals 
comprehensive, but also Gladbach just comprehensively poor, uh, emphasized by Ben Sabaini, who was megged on the MLS assist pass for the opener for Fulkrug, uh, had a terrible header back pass that basically played in uh, Werder Bremen for it to be 3-0. He had an own goal to make it 4-0, and uh, when it was 5-1, he easily was, was turned, completely cut out of the play, and then didn't track his runner, who eventually scored. So just a very, very bad game from Ben Sabaini, but also from Gladbach on the whole. And uh, when you have those teams just sort of dropping points all over the place, it makes it interesting because, as you said, Ryan, we've still got Union and Freiburg at the top. But Bayern, having had the kind of consistent dip in form, I, I have to believe that this is maybe the start of them turning things around and finding that form that will see them through. MLS corner time, LAFC are your supporters, Shield champions, uh, limping over the line, you could argue, from recent weeks. A dramatic 2-1 win at the Timbers with a 95th minute goal, Joe. Quite a good 95th minute goal to seal some silverware for Giorgio Chiellini, yay. Yeah, I'm sure you're thrilled about that, Ryan. It was a nice goal from Dennis Bawanga. And, and Ryan, you're absolutely right about LAFC kind of limping over the line. Carlos Vela had a quote after the game, talking about how they, they made it complicated for themselves, but they did get the job done, and I, I think it's deserved. LAFC, from the beginning of the season till now, setting aside the Philadelphia Union's really hot stretch, which seems like it's over. They lost 4-0 to Charlotte. Way to go, Charlotte. There you go, Ryan Bailey. Now it's even between Charlotte and Chiellini. It's 1-1 one to one in things you love and things you hate. You're welcome. <laughs> now, other than that outburst from Philly, I mean, LAFC have been the best team this year. There's certainly a dip as well. No team, I think, really had this thing wire-to-wire, But all things considered, this was, I think, a completely fair and justified outcome for MLS's Supporter Shield. I think it makes sense. The other MLS thing I wanted to highlight, and then I have one NWSL thing as well, is that this is the last weekend, or or I guess next weekend might be for particular broadcasters, for a lot of the local broadcast duos that we have around Major League Soccer. So there's a lot of folks that have put in some, some really exceptional work over the years, and now that the Apple TV deal means that MLS will be taking over the production. A lot of those folks won't be back, and even the ones that might be still don't know because MLS has told them nothing, as far as I'm aware, about what their jobs will look like next year or if they'll even have a job. So, you know, obviously not ideal situations for a lot of those people, and I feel for them, but also they, they should be proud, so many of them, of the work they've done to help grow soccer in the United States, and hopefully that's a, a cool and, and valuable thing for yeah. a lot of these people. So I, I do want to spotlight that. And then one other American soccer thing is the all rain winning the NWSL Shield, which doesn't really get talked about all that much, it seems to me, in NWSL circles. And I, I would love to, to bring a little bit more awareness to it. It's the same, right? It's winning the league in the regular season. That is incredibly difficult to do. OL Reign won that on Saturday night. Also deserved. They have a ton of talent. They have a really well-rounded squad. And, and they deserve to get this victory. They deserve to get the shield. A $10,000 per player bonus, which is big in a league that's minimum salary is not very big. So congratulations to Ola Rain and, and to the players for a deserved NWSL shield victory. Um, Joe, the, the Apple deal coming in is, as you, you're right to spotlight the uh, production crews uh, across the states who've been doing an excellent job with MLS teams, but surely they're going to keep on most of them. Otherwise, who would they use? Yeah, so I think the idea is that what I have read and heard is that they will be trimming, right? So there's still going to be a lot of those folks that are involved. Maybe there'll be some new folks as well um, that have previously done other coverage. Think Premier League coverage, maybe someone who is not now doing commentary for NBC, but has done commentary for the Chicago Fire, Arlo White. Arlo White might be doing some of that stuff. I don't know if that's true or not, but it, it kind of feels like things are headed in that direction. So they're going to bring in some new talent, Ryan, and, and they will certainly rely on a lot of the the folks that have been doing this job, but I don't think it's going to be everyone. I could be wrong about that, and I kind of hope I am 
But uh, I would be surprised if all of these broadcast duos were still involved in the centralized TV structure. Okay. Joe, Apple are just going to get you to watch every, uh, all 700 games every weekend and commentate on all of them simultaneously. <laughs> you up for that? Yeah, you and me, Graham. We'll do it together because I, I, maybe I'll take 350, oh, you take the other 350. Don't rope me into this. You <laughs> already do, do this, Graham. I don't understand what the difficult bit is for you. Come on. Not for MLS. That's another level altogether. Just channel, so many games. Just channel your Serie A viewership into MLS and you'll be good to go. There you go. Okay, yeah. right. Don't, don't worry about okay. the time zone, Graham. Think about that sweet Silicon Valley Apple money. Just think about it. Mm. Good. Feels good, right? There you go. They're going to pay me in U2 albums. <laughs> Probably. Uh, Joe, just to reiterate, um, you mentioned it there, but it bears repeating. Charlotte FC 4, Philadelphia Union nil. Just wanted to say. People are saying. People are saying Charlotte for Supporter Shield next year. I don't know who those people are, but <laughs> people are saying it. <laughs> they are indeed. I did enjoy the Philadelphia Union tweeting when they showed up at the stadium, which had NFL lines on the stadium saying, hey, uh, they tweeted something like, hey, Panthers, I thought you were playing tomorrow, uh, referring to Sunday. And then the onslaught of, hey, you didn't show up today, tweets <laughs> in the replies. Very enjoyable and a very enjoyable weekend review all around. Thank you very much, listener, for joining us. Taylor Rockwell, I told you daddy would get you home in about an hour. Oh, no. Still don't like that. Still don't <laughs> like that. Did like the intro. Did very much enjoy this one. Uh, thank you, Ryan. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Graham Rutherford, pleasure as always, good sir. Thank you, Ryan Bailey. Joe Lowry, keep on trucking. Right back at you. And thank you once again, listener. We'll be back on the feed very shortly. But for now, bye! You gotta slice it.